This is the Healthy Aging Podcast from Clover Health, exploring a wide variety of medical and wellness issues for older adults and their families. Here's your host, Jason Alderman. Welcome back. We are talking to Dr. Kumar Damarajan. Kumar is the chief scientific officer here at Clover Health. We are a Medicare Advantage plan. And he Kumar is also our geriatric cardiologist. We're going to talk today about hearing loss. Kumar, welcome. Happy to be here. Hearing loss seems to be something where, that all of us face at some point, right? Does, our, our hearing, by definition, degrades over time. Am I right? You're definitely right that as we age, there are changes that happen in various parts of our hearing system, to call it that. You know, as we age, you know, some of the bones, you might not have known, they're bones actually within our ears, right? They get what's called ossified. Hmm. They, they get stiffer and they don't conduct sound as well. Hmm. We also have nerves in our, what's called our inner ear, our cochlea. Those nerves, we lose nerve function, especially at, for high frequency sounds. Uh, and that actually can cause problems. So if you've ever been in a, at a cocktail party mm. and someone's talking to you, but there's a lot of ambient noise, yeah. you're having a little hard time understanding that person. Imagine that, but much worse, mm. right? Because it's really that high frequency sound that gets harder to distinguish in many cases as we age. And that gets, that problem gets intensified when there's more ambient sound. And is this inevitable or is it, is it like there's some folks with good genes uh, or who do something specific that they avoid this? Or is it really does no matter no matter what we lose some of this as we age? It's not a no matter what. I mean, there is age associated changes in our hearing, but it doesn't get significant for everybody. Right. We all sort of have changes at different rates over time. And just to give you some statistics for folks who are. 65 to 84 years of age, 43%. So just over two out of five have hearing loss. Huh. And, and how, do we, how do we measure hearing loss in that sense? What does that mean to actually have hearing loss? Right. So that's measured with a hearing test, huh. right? And so a simple hearing test is something called the whisper test, huh. where literally someone is behind you, you're covering one ear up with your hand, and that person is whispering. Whispering is actually 20 decibels. Huh. Uh, which is pretty soft. Huh. And other forms of talking might be 40 decibels. And so if someone's standing behind you whispers and you can't hear it, I think that's a crude way to say there's hearing loss. There's a much more advanced way. So if you go see a specialist called an audiologist, this person will really take a, a look at your hearing. You'll probably go into the office, wear some headphones, and that person will literally put different frequency sounds in one ear at a time and measure, you know, huh. your hearing there huh. as well as different words. So you can distinguish different vowels, and consonants and things like that. And the interesting thing with hearing loss is those high frequency noises tend to be more consonants. And so uh. you often lose the ability as you age to distinguish consonants, vowels tend to be lower frequency and higher energy. Huh. And lower frequency tends to be higher energy. And so your ears can still pick that up. That's so interesting. I always thought, I always liked vowels better. Yeah. So there's less of a chance that you use them. How do you, how do you know when it's time to, you know, to do the whisper test or get an, an, an audiology test? What's the, what's the tip off? Yeah. So the whisper test should be something your primary care doctor does every so often. Anyway. Right. Now, it doesn't need to be something that's done every year, but it, it is part of a thorough physical examination. Now, I think if you are finding that you're having conversations with people, you're not 
hearing what's going on as well, or really understanding, or really that situation, you're in a noisier environment, and you really can't understand what the person in front of you is saying, or you find yourself really looking at the lips to try and almost like lip read to, to get that understanding as, as opposed to really hearing the words. I think that could be a tip off. And frankly, oftentimes it's family members, right? They're going to say like, you know, dad doesn't really, he's not listening. He's not responding. Well, dad may not be hearing what you're saying, right? Or dad needs you to like look directly at his face to understand because he's looking at your lips. But when you turn your head or you're in another room, that's just not picking up on that. And so, and it's often insidious, right? So age-related hearing loss is not an overnight event, uh-huh. right? It's not one day you're fine and the next day you're not. And so when things are insidious, it's harder to pick up on. It just becomes life, right? It becomes what you think is normal. You don't even realize that there's a problem there. And it's really sometimes a family member who saw you, let's say, a year ago or a couple of years ago. And now it's like, I don't think dad is understanding what I'm saying because mm. he's not responding. Or when I call his name, you know, there's no sense that... One of the things... I've, so I've got several older relatives who have hearing aids. And they they were reluctant to get them. I think there's a little bit of a stigma with a hearing aid in terms of it saying, you know, I'm old and and that's not something everybody wants to do. But I also think that there there used to be some concerns that they they didn't work very well. Is that, you know, are are hearing aids effective? They are effective. So for age-related hearing loss, the type we've been talking about, unless it's at the most severe level, and this is a very small percentage, hearing aids are better than no hearing Hmm. in terms of amplification because they've been designed to specifically amplify those high-frequency sounds Uh. uh, that are lost. Now, hearing aids, as you say, historically, they've been really clunky, they've been stigmatizing, and I can't say any hearing aid now is truly invisible. They have gotten those smaller. They've gotten better. They're just like a really great microphone in terms of directional hearing. That technology has improved. And because they're smaller, they're less visible. They can be totally inside your ear with nothing wrapped around. Oh, is that right? So, oh. You know, so they're they're more discreet. Uh-huh. You know, hearing aids in the past, I think, also were more likely to have static or feedback. So yeah, you so you'd hear, yeah, you'd hear that like whining sound or squealing sound sometimes. Right, and it's like it could cause ringing in your ear. So uh, imagine putting something in your ear and having it cause that. So they've gotten a lot better at that. I also think a major consideration here is you need to go to someone who's a professional at that. So I don't think one can just go online, order uh, hearing aids, and expect that they're going to necessarily fit well, be tuned to your specific hearing needs. You really need to go to a professional who's going to fit you for the right hearing aid, you know, tune it to the right frequencies for you, and then work with you as to how you, you know, put it in, take it out, how you store it, how you charge it. All of those things matter in terms of, you know, the experience someone has with their hearing aid. And you're absolutely right in that they're underused. So the statistics show that you know, probably only one in five people who could benefit from a hearing aid are actually using really? one. Huh. Uh, and even amongst that one in five, people aren't necessarily using it all the times that they could be using it. And, you know, the technology is getting better, but there's still hindrances. It might be hard for certain people to manipulate with their hands as they get older. They, they lose that fine motor dexterity in their fingers. Or once the battery dies, you know, these are little things. It's not always easy to change the battery. And so... You know, I think it's really underused, but one thing we haven't talked about is 
as hearing loss progresses, it's really an isolating effect that that could have. Because people, you know, you talk a lot about you know, your family members, you know, I have an aunt and, you know, she's had hearing loss for some time. And I could just tell that as a result of it, she's more socially isolated. You know, she's more reserved, but not in a personality way or a good way. She's just sort of more detached. I right? can't, like, can't join in conversations in the same way. You can't keep up and, you know, jump in. Right. Yeah. And so, and it can cause depression and things like that. And so the hearing is something that's incredibly important. Unfortunately, it's hearing aids are not covered by traditional Medicare. Mm. And so, you know, hearing aids can cost a couple of thousand dollars, right? So it's not chump change. And so I think that's one area where Medicare in general has has fallen behind. Men versus women for hearing loss. Is there any, is there a difference? Well, women tend to live longer than men, right? And as we age, as we said earlier, you know, hearing loss uh, becomes more common. And so there are more older women out there with hearing impairments compared to men, but I don't think there's a clear association or, you know, if you're a man or a woman, feel like they're at much higher risk for it. Got it. What can we do about preventing hearing loss? I mean, this isn't one of those ones like exercising in eating right. Is there, is there, what, what do we do, whether we're a senior or, you know, we're younger than that to help keep our hearing as strong as it can be for as long as possible? The most important thing we can do is try to minimize exposure to loud noises. It's the same thing parents tell their children. Don't listen too loud with those with those headphones. The same thing holds for older adults. The loud noises, especially of repetitive over many years, can damage our inner ears, and our inner ears ultimately conduct the sounds that come in through our ears to our brain so our brain can perceive what's going on outside. So minimizing exposure to loud noises is definitely number one. The second thing is avoiding exposure to certain drugs that are mm. what are called ototoxic or ear toxic. There, there are actually certain huh. medications that can damage the inner ear. Common ones include you know, certain antibiotics. These aren't things that we put in the ear. You're saying I'm taking a pill for something and it can have a side effect that hurts my ear. Absolutely. Really? So there's certain antibiotic classes. So there's a class of antibiotics called aminoglycoside, like gentamicin is an example. That's an intravenous medication. Okay. So you're probably not taking that at home. But there are other medications like erythromycin. Yeah, sure. I've, I've been of, prescribed that before. Or tetracycline. You may have heard about that. You know, I don't think taking a, you know, a dose for a week or 10 days to treat an infection necessarily is going to cause a problem. But if you already have hearing loss, I wouldn't want to exacerbate it potentially with these medications unless there was no other good option. The other thing is generally for these medications to cause their most severe effects, you have to take them for long periods of time. But in general, I think there are things to avoid and talk to your doctor about. Is this medication or the antibiotic you're prescribing potentially going to affect my hearing? You know, there are other medications like non-steroidals, like ibuprofen, aspirin, but really you have to take high doses of it for long periods of time. But those drugs can impact the inner ear. Really? They can. And certain diuretics. So these are water pills, if you've heard that term. These are uh, medications that help the body get rid of extra salt and water. You know, common ones here include, you know, Lasix, which is furosemide, another one called 
imidacloprid, trotamide. These are medications generally taken by people with cardiovascular problems. Those can also cause problems in the urine, as, as can some um, chemotherapeutic uh, agents. Mm. But at that point that you're getting treated for cancer, you know, it's a, you know, a trade-off for risk and benefit, but drugs can cause it. So minimizing exposure to those drugs is important. And I, I think the other thing is just, we haven't talked about earwax, uh, right? But that's not necessarily an age-related issue. But, you know, if you have a hearing problem that's mostly on one side and it started rather suddenly, it's a different differential diagnosis. So slow changes over years could be age-related, but a fast change, especially on one side, is a whole, you know, different ballgame as to the causes. So earwax, very common, especially in older adults. So, you know, have your doctor take a look in with what's called an otoscope. You know, treatment for that is you put in some drops and he or she can flush it out and, you know, out goes the earwax and hearing will be much improved. And really the earwax is just, you know, our ear canal. So we have ears, we know what those look like. Sound comes in through those ears. They've been shaped in the funny ways that our ears look to be optimized for taking sound and following them and getting it into our brain. So there's the outside part, and then there's what's called an ear canal, and then there's the eardrum, right? It's called the tympanic membrane or eardrum. If, if there's a bunch of earwax and it plugs up that hole, well, sound is not going to get from the outside world to your eardrum, and you know it's got to come out. So, and so earwax common. But really, you know, for some older adults, that's the, if they come to your office and they're saying, you know, doctor, I'm having trouble hearing, that's the first place you got to look. It's fascinating. And it's sort of like a, a topic that I think one doesn't usually discuss in polite company, but impacts us all. Do, do seniors develop more earwax as they age? Or is it just a question of they've lived more years? And so there's, you know, the more years you have, the more likelihood it builds up. I think it's a combination of both, right? Earwax is a combination of dead cells and secretions, right? Because our ear canal is lined by skin. And, you know, like all of our skin, we might not realize it, the skin on our hands and our legs, it actually, it's called desquamates, right? So our skin is constantly renewing itself. We can't see the cells coming off. Well, actually, you might if there's a whole bunch of dust, you know, dust. I think we're going into grocery and grocery grounds here, but you know, a lot of dust is actually skin cells. Interesting. Like, I don't know that. You know, that can just build up in your ear. And so over time. And especially if it's not getting flushed out in the shower, uh, you know, so it's something to pay attention to. But the other thing I think it's important for folks listening to this to note is if you have a sudden onset of hearing loss, especially on one side, you need to get that checked out, right? So while it could be earwax. It also could be, you know, I'm going to call it stuff going on on the inside of your ear or your brain. So a brain tumor, for example, can be in just that right or wrong spot based on how you're thinking about it to inhibit that connection from the ear to the brain, right? The nerves that transmit the sound waves from outside into our brain so we could perceive it and understand that there's sound there. So if you, if you have a sudden loss of hearing, especially on one side, take that seriously. I want to go back to earwax for a second. I went to an audiologist a few years ago and he looked at my ears, used, used the otoscope. And the first thing he, he did was admonish me for using Q-tips inside my ear. And I, and I know that the, the Q-tip box says, don't do it. And I, I think I'm not the only one who uh, violates this practice by using it to, to clean the inside of my ears as well. It feels bad otherwise. Like it gets itchy. And is that, how big of a deal is it for me to, that I'm using Q-tips on the inside of my ear? 
Yeah, I'm actually not sure that Q-tips actually do really help us clean our ears that much. I mean, maybe your ears are particularly gross. Uh, and, <laughs> oh, you say the nicest things, Gilmar. No, but I think the fear of your audiologist is, are you going to push in just a little too far? And if you damage your eardrum, that could be a big problem, right? That could really impact your hearing moving forward. The other thing is, it's a blind stick, right? When you stick your Q-tips in your ears... You're not really looking in your ears at the same time unless you have a special mirror set up. <laughs> I am definitely uh, you know. not. No, I'm doing it by feel. Right. And so the key here is you don't want to sort of, if you do have your wax, you might just be pushing it in further and you just have no idea that you're doing that. Uh, that may be <laughs> undoubtedly true. But so then, so then, all right, let's pretend that I stop being a scofflaw user of my Q-tips and violating the terms of use. How, what am I, what should I do? You know, should I, should I literally just ignore it and, you know, once every year use those drops and flush out the wax? Is there, is there any safe way to deal with it? So if you know that you are, you know, inclined to develop your wax, because it's different uh, for different people, there are these drops that are called, you know, Debrox and other products out there. You can get that over the counter. You don't need a prescription for that. Essentially what it does is if, if you put the drops in your ear, much like you'd put drops in an eye, like for people who put saline or whatever eye drops they have, you know, it sort of moistens the earwax and then you can flush it out like in the shower and things like that. And so I noticed you taking notes there. Maybe you're uh, going to end up using this product. <laughs> I have I have used it. I use it in conjunction with my uh, inappropriate Q-tip usage. Uh, I do it, I don't know, whenever... Whenever it seems like I can't hear so well, I, I'll, I'll use some of that. Is, do I need to talk to a doctor before I do that? Or is it okay just to get the drops, put them in as it says in the box and, and call it a day? I think you should be okay, especially if you've known that uh, you've developed your wax before. There's a generally not high-risk medications. And one other topic I just wanted to address so that we didn't cover is something called a cochlear implant. I don't know hmm. if you've ever heard yeah, of Yeah. Is that... I think I've, I've seen, have I seen people with those sometimes on the outside of their heads? Is that what that is? No, it's on the, it's, it, you know, so there's a way to tune it, mm. right? But it, it is an implant inside, inside, huh. you know, your body, huh. in your inner ear. And so for folks who have really extreme age associated hearing loss, right? So, you know, you're not in that group where it's starting to happen, but you really can't hear, right? There is a way to actually frankly, take the signals from the inner ear or essentially bypass our natural system, which is so broken down now that it's not working, and transmit sounds that are coming from the external world into our brain. Interestingly, Medicare, which doesn't cover hearing aids, does cover cochlear implants. But it is, you know, it is something that's effective for people who are at the most extreme you know, edges of their hearing. Now, it's not going to make them hear totally normally again, but it does allow them to experience the outside world. So if hearing aids just aren't working, they've, they've reached the limit, there's, a, there's another option that might work as well. Is that a, is that a surgery? It is a, it is a surgery. Oh, wow. It is a surgery. Kumar, thank you as always. We've been talking today with Dr. Kumar Damarajan. He's our chief scientific officer here at Clover Health. He's a geriatric cardiologist. Kumar, thank you. Thanks for listening to the Healthy Aging Podcast from Clover Health. If you like what you heard, please leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to share with your friends and family. For more information about Clover, visit www.cloverhealth.com.